Everybody happy tonight? Now, uh, you could come over this way if you want to get a little bit closer to the fan. That's completely up to you. I guess the rest of us are okay. But I'm getting hypnotized watching this going on. All right, let's, uh, let's stand together and we're going to read. I mean, this isn't going to take long. The first part of verse 1. We're going to go through Second Peter together. How many of you have gone ahead of me and, and read a little bit of it on your own? Raise your hands high because you get two books of Hey Jude. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's a great book. And the reason that I'm going through this book is because it's really like a brother or a sister to Jude. Uh, Jude could almost be Third Peter. Second Peter could almost be Jude too. Uh, they're very similar. But let's, uh, let's read this together, the first verse, and then let me just talk to you about it a little bit. Are you ready? Read it with me. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, that's an easy read. Let's pray together. Father, speak to our hearts tonight. Minister your word to us. We receive your word with meekness. Thank you, Lord, for engrafting it into our souls. Thank you for enhancing our wisdom. Thank you, Lord, for giving us knowledge and understanding in your scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for making us strong believers in a generation that has walked away from your word, in a country that is attacking your word. Thank you for raising up strong Christian believers. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you say it with me? It's going to be good tonight. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I want to just take um, the first part of this and, and give you a little background into Second Peter. Um, this letter, of course, was penned by the Simon Peter, who stood with James and John as one of the unique eyewitnesses to Christ's transfiguration. You know, it, it always blows my mind when I stop and think that it's this Simon Peter who said three times, I don't know him. The third time with cursings, I don't know him. And then, look how the Lord turned him around. That same Simon Peter wrote this second letter. So I want you to think with me, there's always a second chance. There's always hope. No matter how big your mistake is, our God is a restoring God. He's a forgiving God. He's a God of hope. He's not a, a God of condemnation. He's not a pharisaical God. He's a God of hope. So uh, this letter, of course, penned by the Simon Peter who denied Jesus, the same person who earlier wrote 1 Peter, now addresses the same readers. He was numbered with the 12 disciples, and he knew the Apostle Paul as a dear brother. This same Simon Peter had been told by Christ how he would die as they walked together on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus said to him, when you were young, you went where you wanted, did what you wanted, but when you're old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go, and they're going to do with you what you don't want done to you. And we know that Simon Peter, many years from then, was apprehended, persecuted, hung upside down on a cross as a mockery of the Jesus he preached, and was martyred. This same Simon Peter was told the way he was going to die as Jesus and Peter and John walked the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, 2 Peter opens and closes with the theme of victory. In the beginning and the end, it's victory, victory, but sandwiched in between, 
Peter focuses on how to live when surrounded by the problems and perplexities of the end time. In light of the news just this week, how many of you believe we just may be in the end time? I'm telling you, mark my words, the place to watch with a prophetic eye is the Middle East. It's not America. It is not China. It is not India, though that terrible tragedy happened in India at the hands of insane terrorists this week. The place to watch is Israel, because Israel, small as it is, is the epicenter of all future prophetic fulfillment. So watch it closely. Keep your eye on it. One day we will probably wake up to a news report that Israel has been attacked by Iran, Iraq, Russia, and some other players in the prophetic uh, uh, timetable laid out by Ezekiel in Ezekiel 38. And we may talk about that later in this series, but this letter of Second Peter is given to us for those of us in the end time, not just those in Peter's day, but especially in the end of the end time, to make us strong, to make us able to walk in perilous times like this. So that's what we're going to find. After painting a landscape filled with false teachers, fallen angels, flagrant immorality, and outspoken scoffers, Peter charges his readers to live holy and godly lives as they look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. So the overarching theme of 2 Peter is faithful living in difficult times. Can you say that with me? Faithful living in difficult times. How many of you want Jesus to look at you and say, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a little, I'm going to make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So this letter is going to help us live faithful in difficult times. All right? Now, let's talk about the name of Simon Peter for a minute, because the first two words in the first verse are Simon Peter. He identifies himself. The name Simon Peter is filled with meaning. Jesus gave to Peter the Aramaic name of Cephas as a descriptive title of what he would someday be like. You remember? Jesus said, you are Simon Peter, but I'm going to call you, and he named him the, the Rock. So you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Now the word stone is from the Greek word petros which means a detached but large fragment of rock and is used here metaphorically to describe Peter as a man like a rock by reason of his firmness and strength of soul. But I want you to think with me a minute. When he looked at him and said, you will be called a rock, was he a rock at that time? Mm-mm. I got to move this or it's going to sound like a hurricane on that CD so y'all get the fan. If you want to just come get it and shoot it that way, it's all yours, because I can hear it. All right, now, think with me a minute. When Jesus looked at him and said, here's what I'm going to call you, he was defining his future. He was defining Simon's future. He was saying, this is what you are. I know what you are today, Simon, but that's not what I'm focusing on. When I'm done with you, you're going to be a rock. I'm speaking over you what you're going to be. And so I'm going to tell you something, folks. Jesus hasn't changed. As he looks at you and me right now, he sees what you are, but he also sees what you shall be. 
You are this today, Peter, but it's not what you're going to be. I'm going to make you like a rock. The word stone is from the Greek word petros, which means a detached but large fragment of rock. You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called a stone. The word stone is from the Greek word petros, which means a detached, a detached but large fragment of rock. It's used here metaphorically to describe Peter as a man like a rock by reason of his firmness and strength of soul. Following Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, remember that? Jesus answered Peter and said, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now the word rock in that verse is Petra, and it's a synonym of Petros. Petros means a detached but large fragment of rock. Petra is the massive living rock. Okay? So Jesus is Petra, the massive living rock. All Simon Peter was was a fragment off of that rock. And that's what you and me are. We're, we're not a massive living rock. We're a chip off the old block. That's what we are. We're a chip off the old block. We are attached to the massive living rock. When Jesus said to Peter, on that, this rock I'm going to build my church, he was not telling Peter, I'm building my church on you. He was saying, on the revelation, the fact, the reality, that I am the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, that's the rock, the massive living rock. And you, Peter, are only going to be a chip off that rock. He was not saying all throughout history that Simon Peter was the rock upon which he built his church. So I'm going to be careful here. I know I'm going where angels fear to tread, but I'm going to say it. This whole teaching of Petrine or Peter's succession, where the popes are supposed to be in the succession of Peter and carry the same authority as Peter, and, and, and that somehow makes them infallible and inerrant, it, it's just not true. All that Peter was was a chip off the old block just like you and me. And as long as you're a part of the massive living rock, then you're saved. You're walking in life. That's all Peter was saying. So can you say with me, I'm a chip off the old block? Amen. Isn't that good news? The foundation of the church of Jesus Christ is that massive living rock, the Son of God in all His deity and glory as described by Peter. Peter is a fragment of that massive rock in the sense in which he speaks of believers in his own epistle as lively stones, drawing their life from the great living stone himself. It was the fullness of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that transformed Simon into Peter, the rock man. He was as unstable as water until the Holy Ghost hit him. Then you find Simon Peter walking down the street in his shadow healing people. Then you find Peter writing these incredibly staggering letters. There you see the change come when the Holy Ghost came upon his life. So Jesus said, I see what you are, but I know what you're going to be. You're going to be like a rock. You're going to be reflective of me. But the good news is so are you. Every time you love somebody in the Lord, you're a chip off the old block. Every time you're patient in rush hour traffic, you're a chip off the old block. 
Every time you get on your knees and you pray and God answers that prayer, you're a chip off the old block. Amen? Amen. All right. So here's the nugget. Jesus sees not only who we are, but who we shall be following his working in our lives. Good news, he never uses our past to define our future. He defines us according to our calling, not our past. He doesn't look at you and go, well, you did this and that and the other, so all that I can do with you is this and that. No. He looks at you through the lens of his calling on your life and his purpose for you. And he says, this is what you're going to be. Jesus didn't see the Simon Peter who would deny him and curse him and was unstable and, and wanted to fall, call fire down from heaven on a town and all these other things. Jesus saw Simon Peter walking down the street in his shadow healing people. Jesus saw Simon Peter writing these letters. Jesus saw Simon Peter, one of the apostolic rocks of the church. It's amazing what the Lord will do with you if you'll just let him do it. It's amazing what he'll do with you if you'll just let him do it. Now, here we come to the word apostle. Apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, made up of apa, off, and stella, to send. So literally, when you say the word apostle, here's what you're saying, to send somebody off. An apostle is a sent one, a sent one. There's nothing mysterious about the name. When somebody comes up to me and tells me they're an apostle, I get a real weird feeling. I don't like that. Just tell me you're a pastor or a preacher or a deacon. When you tell me you're an apostle, I've asked people, I've looked them in the eye and said, what does that mean, you're an apostle? Well, it means that, you know, I, and they really usually can't tell me. What it means is a sent one. It just means a sent one. It's a word used to describe somebody sent from someone else with credentials on a mission. So Peter, for instance, was an ambassador of Jesus Christ sent by him with credentials in the form of miracles and on a mission to proclaim the good news of salvation. First Peter written to the same audience as Second Peter, tells us that he was writing to strangers or pilgrims of, of the dispersion. Now, guys and gals, church, I, I want to teach you. I got to give you some background here. There, there's times I'm just going to teach. It's going to feel like, uh, I don't know, a, a classroom a little bit. But I want to teach you. I want you to learn some things. I don't want you to have a pet verse or two you know, a verse a day to keep the devil away, and, and you never really know the Word of God. So I'm trying to get you where when you open up the Bible and you look at First John or you look at Jude or you look at, at Peter, you can go, I know about that letter. I know about that book. I know who wrote it. I know who it was written to. I know the gist of what it was about. I want you to know that because our Bible is under attack. I mean, viciously, intellectually, strategically under attack and so we need to know about our Bible so I want you to know who Peter was writing to I've told you already uh, a little bit earlier on that second Peter is written to the same group of people as first Peter so who were they well if you go to first Peter let's read it together can we Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, who in the strangers in the world? 
Who's that? Who were they? What does it mean? And there went my light. There we go. Okay. Strangers in the world. The word strangers in English refers to somebody you don't know. That's a stranger. I ran into a stranger today at the bus stop. Just started talking to him. A stranger said something to me. And that's what we think of as a stranger. But in the Greek language, it meant way, way more than that. Are you ready for a really gnarly Greek word? All right, here it is. The Greek, it is, the Greek meaning is far more for stranger. It is the word pare, I'm going to try to get it, parepidemois, parepidemois, parepidemois. It kind of, it's a compound word with three Greek words in it, parepidemois. Para means alongside of. Epi means upon. Demos refers to the people of a heathen city. The complete word describes the recipients of this letter as Christians who have settled down alongside of the unsaved. They are strangers in a strange land. Have you ever felt that way? I'm home, but I'm not. This world is where I live, but it's not my home. One day I'm going to go to where my home is, but in the meantime, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim in this place called earth. Because God has built us a better city whose builder and foundation is God. That's what he's saying. He's saying that God had placed these people amongst a bunch of lost people. And if you've been here on Sundays, you know what I've been preaching on, that Jesus is a sower and he sows his word into our hearts where we are saved, and then he sows us into the world. Amen? So every one of us are sown seeds. We have been sown into the world by Jesus, the sower. So can you say with me, I'm a good seed, sown into the world. That's exactly who you are. So that changes your perspective when you're sitting at work and you say, oh man, you know, what am I doing in this job, just nine to five, just cranking out the hours, making my bills, and what, what, what is this all about? If you stop and say, wait a minute, if I'm a child of God, the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And that means that as a child of God, I don't just wander around on this earth, but I'm providentially sown and Wherever I am is where he's allowed me to be. So I've got a purpose wherever I am. That changes things. All right? Now, he used the same word in chapter 2, verse 11. Can we read it together? Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and who? Strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Here's literally, I urge you as born-again Christians living among the lost not to be snared by their sins. Because God doesn't put us, folks, on top of a mountain in a white sheet in a monastery somewhere. God sows us among the wicked. That's why at Sunday I preached on the wheat and the tares, the seeds and the weeds. You're a good seed. He's not going to sow good seeds among good seeds. Why? Because he wants the good seeds to influence bad seeds. So he's going to sow you where there's a whole lot of sinning going on. That's where he's going to sow you. Now what he's telling us here is 
He's saying, I'm begging you as a stranger who has been sown among lost people, don't be infected by their sin. Don't be corrupted by their lifestyle because you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Salt preserves from wickedness and light reveals wickedness. Neither one of them uh, uh, just sort of melt into it and fade into it and blend in with it where you can't tell one from the other. The word scattered, the word scattered is from the word diasporos. Moses used the equivalent in, in Deuteronomy 28, 25 when he predicted, you will be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. He told the Jewish people that. You're going to be scattered to all the kingdoms of the earth. That's why it was such a miracle in 1948 when Israel became a nation again. They had been scattered for 2,000 years. And God brought them back together into a nation again. And that was huge prophetic fulfillment. As a matter of fact, many prophecy teachers believe that when that happened, when they became a nation again in 1948, the prophetic hourglass was turned upside down and the end of the end times began. The word diaspora is also made up of two words. Dia means through. Spero is to sow or to scatter seed. These early Christian Jews had originally been scattered into Gentile territories for business opportunities. They wanted to go make a buck. And so they went searching out business opportunities. But they had gone there by their own choice, but God sent Christian missionaries preaching the gospel. They reached them and won them to Christ. Now they were the living among the dead, the saved amongst the lost. That's who Peter's talking to. The diaspora, the scattered, those who have been sown all over the place. Have you ever seen a church break up and people just go everywhere? You ever seen it? Now think of that on a world scale. These people had been in Jerusalem. The first church was in Jerusalem. It was huge. It was a mega church. The first century, first church was a mega church. James pastored it. All the Christians went there. All the Jewish Christians went there. And God said, no, they're going to be scattered. So he let persecution come and it scattered them everywhere because God wanted the righteous sown among the wicked. Did I lose it again? Boy, this one. So y'all understand. Now I want you to think for a minute. You're a sown seed. And God has sown you. Have you ever gone through a persecution or a time of trouble where you ended up somewhere and wondered how in the world you got there and realized that God had a purpose for you right where you landed? Right where you landed. Amen? All right. We need to do away with that one, don't we? <laughs> All right. So here we go. Where was I? Yeah. Okay. No? Wrong sheet. Okay. Sorry, y'all. This is all going to be edited. There we go. All right. Now, one commentator writes, there they had been providentially sown by the great sower to become themselves communicators of the gospel story. Likewise, we who are saved are providentially placed by God in the midst of the unsaved, living in Satan's territory to win those among whom we have been placed to the Lord Jesus. 
So instead of seeing lost people as irritating, obnoxious, or difficult human beings to be around, let the light go off on the inside that wherever you happen to be, you're sown there. And God wants you to reach people, to influence people, to touch people for His glory. Amen? That'll change the way you view life. It'll, listen, when I went to the University of North Texas to get my bachelor's degree, I thought that I had landed in hell. I, was, uh, I, was, I would go into classes where I would, where I would uh, share Jesus, and you would, really th- you would think I was a leper. You would think that, 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 uh, uh, that I was a serial killer. It was unbelievable the amount of negativity that came against me because I was a believer. I was a stranger in a strange land. These people lived to party, partied to live. That's all they knew. Maybe I shouldn't have named the college because this is going out over the radio. (laughs) And I got a couple of orders last week from Denton. But here's the deal. I, I finally, one day I woke up and said, Lord, why am I even here? Why am I even here? What am I doing here? And the Lord said, Jeff, I've sown you here, but if there's nobody, I I feel all alone. Just walk with me and share me. So I shared Jesus with my whole class. None of them ever spoke to me again, but I have have the confidence that some of them got saved. But I I realized, listen, you're either going to be vexed by your surroundings or you're going to see yourself as providentially placed there. And if you're providentially placed there, why? Because God has a purpose for you there. Now, I'm not telling you you ought to go off into sinful areas that make you stumble and places that bring you under temptation and, 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 and uh, walk, walk the outer edge of fire that way. No. I'm just saying whatever job you're in, it's the job you've got today. It's the job you've got tomorrow. You may not have it next week, but you're there tomorrow. Now, God, being providential and sovereign, allowed you, his child, to be there. So if we start seeing ourselves as sown seed, then I will sow seed. If I'm a sown seed, I'm going to sow seed. I'm going to talk about Jesus, or at least I'm going to pray over where I'm at. I'm there not by accident, but by divine placement. It'll change the way you see things. All right, now, here's what Peter is telling us. Peter calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. He says, all right, those of you that have been scattered, those of you that are out there among the lost, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Servant is such a powerful word here. It's the word doulos. And it's the lowest term for a slave of the five words the Greek used when speaking of somebody who serves. Peter had five choices of words that described a servant, and he picked the lowest end to describe himself. A doulos is someone bound to another as a slave. It was used to describe a person who was born into slavery. It describes a person whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. Before salvation, the sinner's will is swallowed up in the will of Satan. Did you know that? See, people say, well, I don't want to be religious. I want to be free. There's nobody free in this world. There is nobody free in this world. So I'm free. No, you're not free. You're serving either the devil or you're serving Christ. But either way, you're a servant. Well, I'm just, uh, I'm not doing either. I'm just going to go out there and do my own thing. Nobody does their own thing. Can I just, nobody does their own thing. 
You say, well, I'm doing my own thing. I go where I want, think what I want, say what I want, do what I want. No. If you're not serving the Lord, you're serving your flesh and you're serving the enemy. But you're not doing your own thing. And we as believers, we woke up this morning, we had a choice not of doing our own thing, but who are we going to serve? Well, I'm going to serve the Lord. So I give you this day, Lord, and I ask you to lead me, to guide me, help me to grow in the faith, direct my steps, guide me in the way, fulfill your purpose in my life. And you know what all of us are who do that? We are a doulos, a servant. The low end, if Peter could say that's what he was, can't we say it? Before salvation, we had no choice. We served sin. Come on. It wasn't so long ago. Listen to Ephesians 2, 3. I pulled this out of the Message Bible. It's so powerful. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. Do you remember? You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat, and we were serving sin. We weren't doing our own thing, never have, never will. After salvation, our will is swallowed up in the sweet will of God. Dulos spoke of one who is bound to another in bands which only death can break. The sinner is bound to Satan in bands which only death can break. In the case of the believing sinner, his identification with the Lord Jesus in his death on the cross broke the bands which bound him to Satan. Now the believer is bound to Christ in bands which only death can break. But we're going to serve the devil or we're going to serve God. There is no serving you. Furthermore, doulos refers to one who serves another to the disregard of his own interests. Here's where the lordship of Jesus Christ comes in. Before salvation, the sinner serves Satan to his own destruction. Since he has been saved, a spirit-filled believer serves the Lord with an abandon that says, nothing matters about me so long as Jesus is glorified. See, real lordship kicks in when you say, you know what, not my will but thine be done. I may want to, but I won't because I want to more strongly serve you. That's lordship. That's doulos. That's a servant. So Peter, one day, think about it, they said to him, you going to keep preaching this Jesus stuff? Yes. You don't want to recant? No, done that before. Been there, done that. So you're not going to take this back about Jesus being Lord and all this other God stuff? No. Very well. Take him, laid him down on a cross, nailed him or tied him to it, turned it upside down, dropped it into the ground. Do loss. Not my will, but thine be done. The remainder of verse 1 reads this way, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And see that word obtain? Obtain means to obtain by lot or to receive by divine allotment. 
This is speaking about the act of placing faith in Christ Jesus for salvation. It is appropriating faith in that it obtains for us our divine allotment of Christian privileges. This faith is described as what, everybody? Like precious faith with us. Peter says, I'm writing to people who have the same precious faith I do. Now, I don't want to make you talk to your neighbor too much, but, but just turn to your neighbor and say, you got the same precious faith I do. And I see some of you out there, you got the same precious faith I do. See, Peter is saying, I'm writing to people who have the same precious faith. Okay? And he says, the word precious means held, possessed as of a great price. The, va- the faith we have in Christ, Peter says, has equal value and honor to those who receive it. Because it grants us all the same Christian privileges. What an incredibly priceless gift this faith is that admits us to the salvation God provided through the death and resurrection of His Son. Amen? So we've all got the same precious faith that's done the same thing for all of us. It saved us. It brought us peace. It brought us joy. We want to serve Him. It changed us. It delivered us from sin. Broke some habits off of our life. The same precious faith. All right. And how did that faith come? Can you read it with me? By the righteousness of our God and Savior. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about the faith you got saved with. It came from God. All right? We received this faith because of God's righteousness. We didn't deserve it. It was not due us. Because of God's mercy, we received not only our salvation, but we received the faith to get saved from God. Did you know that? Listen to Romans 12, 3. Can you read it with me? For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Where did your faith come from? What in the world enabled you to look up one day and say, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Savior and Lord? It was faith. And where'd that faith come from? God gave it to you. God gave you that faith. So there's not one thing about our salvation we can look each other in the face about and say, I did that. Salvation is all of Him, none of us. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. And no one can really say, Jesus is my Lord, except by and under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. So even when you said Jesus is Lord, it was under the influence of the Holy Ghost. All right? God and our Savior translates best our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter clearly intended to communicate that Jesus Christ is God and is the God of the Christian. Because he insisted on teaching this, he was martyred. And folks, we've got to get this down as I close this message tonight. We've got to understand, and I want you, if you ever get anything out of this church, anything out of my ministry, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ was not a first century hippie wearing sandals, walked around saying neat things, a very, a very insp- inspiring personality. He wasn't a good teacher. He wasn't somebody with a prophetic edge. He was not a charismatic leader. He was God 
wrapped in flesh. And that's why Peter says, calls him our God, Jesus Christ. Our God. If you're a Christian, Jesus is God. And guess what? If you're not a Christian, you're going to find out. Jesus is God. So boy, I love these, I love these apostolic letters because of the profound things they say. So let's read, let's stand up and read the expanded translation. Are you ready? Simon Peter, a bond slave and an ambassador of Jesus Christ, to those who have been divinely allotted like precious faith with us by the equitable treatment of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth and died for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you were God wrapped in flesh. You walked among us, felt our pain, died, and rose from the dead. We thank you, Lord, that you came to give us an understanding. We thank you that we see tonight that, Lord, you are God. Even our faith came from you. And we just pause and thank you and praise you and bless you for it. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the guys to start handing out the manuals. Let's just, let's just thank the Lord for who he is and what he's done for us. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name.